Hi there, welcome to the Raising Cinephiles podcast, a show about passing on your love of cinema to the next generation. I'm your host, Jessica Cantor, and I have worked in all facets of the entertainment industry for the last 20 years, and recently became a mom. This week's guest is Katie Strickland. She and I recorded this episode on July 11th, which, lucky for me and you, is pre-strike because Katie's love of cinema is absolutely incredible. From growing up on a rural farm in Georgia, watching movies and then acting them out all over the landscape, to introducing her son to films on actual prints going to the New Beverly Cinema. All of it is pretty inspiring and very special. Katie is starring in season two of Cruel Summer, which recently aired its season finale. If you're not familiar, In this anthology series, each season follows a new cast of characters who deal with traumatic events over several timelines and how those events impact their lives. Always remember that myself and guests are speaking from personal experience, not giving parenting advice. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Raising Cinephiles podcast. I am here with Katie Strickland, who is an actress, a mother, and currently starring in Freeform's Cruel Summer, which is in season two, which is airing now. And I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you for joining me. No, I'm thrilled. As I told you a moment ago, I love the pod. So I'm really grateful to be a part of this whole lexicon of what you're starting. It's one of my favorite subjects. It's one of from my parenting standpoint, one of the most important tenets that I could give our kids. Amazing. I'm going to start us off with my first question, which kind of the first half of our conversation being about you and your relationship to cinema. What is your first movie memory? You know, it's funny because as you probably already are understanding as a parent, memories are formed out of the gate for these little ones. And I thought it'd be interesting to ask my parents what they remembered showing me for the first Mm -hmm. time. Of course, my memory was different, but as they jarred it, I thought, oh, I suppose that's true. So I was obsessed with Grimm's fairy tales and they remembered showing me Snow White. But my memory is also, I feel like maybe one of your other guests might've mentioned this, that the Wizard of Oz would show yearly. And I have very distinct early memories of seeing those images because I was the third kid. My siblings are 10 and 12 years older. So whatever was on the table was there for me to see as well. There was no like, let's kid glove it for this one. I saw everything. I mean, when I was thinking about the age that I saw Deliverance at, for example, because that was playing. It was younger than my son is now, and he's nine and a half. And I remember hearing Quentin Tarantino talk about seeing that with his mom when he was young. And I thought, well, he turned out all right. So I suppose (laughs) we're two people that I can say probably saw something very inappropriate, very young. But I would never show that to my child, in other words. I had the constitution for it. And I think we'll probably talk about proclivities in cinema that emerged at a very young age for me. I also was obsessed with Pollyanna. I thought Haley Mills was like the most exquisite spirit every time she performed in one of those movies. And then the funny thing that I was thinking about with Pollyanna is that's a young Kurt Russell. And I remember... Part of what's been the journey that's so fun about your pod and thinking about my life with cinema and how it's influenced my life and probably in many ways my career choice is I remember making the connection that that Kurt Russell was the same Kurt Russell that was so funny when he was with Goldie Hawn 
and now that's him as a man, but that was him as a kid. And I remember linking up like Tom Hanks from seeing Bosom Buddies, and then suddenly he's in Splash and Big. And then, of course, down the line, Forrest Gump in Philadelphia, like really looking at the scope of a career when people were given these just massive swings. And yes, you're known for certain skill sets, but they really just had such evolution right in front of me. And I was always very titillated by making those connections with actors and being mm-hmm. so surprised by their body of work. And I remember that, you know, at that age, and I remember probably Gremlins was the first one I remember seeing in the movie theater. And I specifically remember that because I thought it was a very magical story at the time. I wasn't scared by it. And I was really excited because I did get a gizmo that was in a pink Barbie car that year for Christmas. So it had a much sweeter pot as a result of that. Very well done, Mattel product placement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember Gremlins, though I was scared. But I, but in a good way, because I definitely mm-hmm. have this stuffed animals and love them, and it didn't not scared enough to not be in my bedroom at night, right? So, but I did find that one scary. And when you said Kurt Russell, for some reason, Overboard just popped into mm-hmm. my head, which was one of my favorite movies. I can't tell you how old I was when I watched it or how I watched it, but I definitely saw that more than once. Yeah, for sure. And I was trying to remember when we got a VCR and it must have been at least around 1980 when I was five. And that was just it. I was a latchkey kid. So, and again, those ages, the difference between my brother and sister was so great from my own. But, you know, I think 1980, I feel like I have a very vivid memory of seeing Fame, the movie. And I remember jumping off the arm of the couch when they would do the whole thing. But then I remember being really disturbed by, I was more disturbed. I love horror and have always. So it's probably no accident that my son is the byproduct of me being in a horror film. But, you know, I was more disturbed by like seeing Irene Cara topless and upset about it, you know, then that's my memory. I haven't seen that movie in a hundred years, it seems. But I do remember her vulnerability was much more upsetting to me than seeing Friday the 13th, which I saw at a very young age. I saw all those films. If I got good grades, I got to go to the video store and rent movies. And more often than not, it was horror. I mentioned this in a previous episode, so you probably heard it. My parents didn't really let me watch horror because I was scared. Like, And I was more yeah. scared from like Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. that my would watch accidentally because it would come on after something else that my brother and I would watch and I'd have to sleep on the floor of his room because I was too scared. And I was, but, you know, those were real people out in the world, right? That, yes, yes, that, I agree. That's a much scarier scenario. I also think it's interesting how much children identify with characters that are their age. I remember Something Wicked This Way Comes felt much scarier than Nightmare on Elm Street to me because Jonathan Price is a genius. And Mm -hmm. I also think there's something about when you see children and you feel you're identifying with something. Like it's, it's always interesting too, when we watch movies with our kid, he's always looking for a peer in the Mm -hmm. story, someone to identify with. It doesn't matter gender. Mm -hmm. It's just who do I identify with? Who's on my level? And then I I really enjoy seeing who he identifies with that is not a peer 
who are the adult actors that somehow have some inner childlike quality that is just very transcendent when they're on screen. And inevitably, it's the same people I connected to when I was young, which is, I think, wild. I don't know if you've had that with Miles yet. Miles is barely watching stuff because he's not even two. He's a year and a half. I'm like kind of waiting with bated breath and creating my list of things that I want to show him. And he, I mean, he already has like a personality and a taste that Mm -hmm. like he likes being scared. So I think we're going to be able to do horror, Mm. but within some time, obviously. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you've got plenty of it. He's he's got his whole cinematic journey to live out too. That's, that's part of the beauty of it, but it really, what I've really enjoyed about your podcast is it has, yeah, I'm from a town with one traffic light in South Georgia. So Mm -hmm. you had to drive 30 minutes to get to a movie theater. That was an event, but I Mm -hmm. remember, and that was the shortest distance, but it really being involved with thinking about my love of cinema has really reminded me of beautiful memories with my parents. And I don't, you know, she's a nurse, my mother and my father was an educator and a disciplinarian and a coach and then eventually a superintendent. So not at all involved in what I'm doing. But I didn't really consider how much of a love of cinema they had that I now understand. I mean, I was thinking about how much my parents loved Witness. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful film, but like, they're the reason I know who Peter Weir is. Yeah. And it, it's an incredible movie, you know, it's beautifully acted. And of course, Lucas Haas, I identified that was my peer in the movie mm-hmm. and he was phenomenal in that film. But when I look back at that, like I was thinking about some of the big moments that I remembered from childhood. I remember driving to Jacksonville, Florida, which was two hours away because my mother wanted to see White Nights. Oh, wow. I love that film. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. gorgeous. I mean kind of a wacky premise, but you've got two of the most extraordinary dancers of all time Mm -hmm. with different abilities, different ways of utilizing their physical form to tell story. And then Isabella Rossellini, when I worked with her years later, I talked to her about it and I told her about this experience. And I just remember driving home in the backseat of the car because I had a two hour journey ahead after this long movie. Mm -hmm. And just laying there listening to my parents talk about what they liked about the movie and laying there and contemplating what I liked about the movie, what my favorite parts were. And that was a very, I mean, I was little, like seven, eight, maybe when I saw it, probably somewhere in that ballpark. That movie hasn't come up on the podcast yet. And the other movie that is in the similar vein, which I feel like if your mom took you to see White Knight, then you probably saw this also, which was The Turning Point. Oh, yeah. That's Which, an incredible film. Best fight scene in cinema. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe rivaled by this new Jennifer Lawrence fight sequence in her current film. I don't know if I you've seen that. I haven't seen Ooh. it yet. It's brave lady. Brave lady. <laughs> I applaud everything about what she does there. <laughs> that was something else. Yeah, I have uh, to. But I won't I spoil it, it for you. Yeah. I was a ballet dancer, so I just loved it. And I actually, in a ballet class in high school, went up to Leslie Brown, which was the daughter, the the dancer, and asked her to teach me privately, and she did. And so wow. I built this whole relationship around her, and I like like she was the inspiration for me to even dance in the first place. And so it was pretty pretty special how that film really influenced my life and. 
want to rewatch it. Um, yeah, it's an incredible when you think about a creative person's journey when they actually get the opportunity to do the thing they love. How many people? I mean, I went to the Academy Museum recently. Mm-hmm. Have you been? I have not been yet. Oh my goodness. All right. I will try to, I'm not going to overly talk this just so you can have your own experience with it. But it is, for many reasons, it was a beautiful day. The least of all was not, I realize I have a certain privilege because I've done this professionally. Mm-hmm. But what was great was watching people that haven't, that you could tell purely went because they're in Los Angeles on vacation and they love cinema and there's a room filled with Academy Awards and they're getting to look at all these things. Mm-hmm. There's so many wonderful things in this museum because you love cinema. But I also had that moment where I'm looking at these remarkable cameras and there are certain areas of the museum where they build sets according to certain very iconic films. And I had a moment where I was like, oh, there's a Casablanca area, which is one of my favorites. I have a very specific, beautiful memory of seeing that film with my husband. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to Isabella and I was like, thinking of you. And I realized after I sent it, the absurdity of that. If you'd told me that when I saw Blue Velvet as a kid, because David Lynch was my everything. Mm -hmm. I, my God have such a love of that. I think probably the movie that upset me the most as a child was Elephant Man. And I remember seeing that around the time that I was, I believe I was five when I saw it. And it wasn't that he was scary to look at. It was how he was being treated. And it's funny because when I think about the person my child is becoming, his sense of justice is so intense. And I thought, yeah, he would not be able to hang with that movie. And it's funny because I listened to, I feel it was, I can't remember what podcast it was. It might've been Smartless, but Tony Hale was talking about how he can't watch things like that because it's just too real to him. And I think my son, though I don't believe he's going to become an actor like his parents, I do think his empathy and his ability to believe story is so overwhelming to him mm-hmm. that there's so many things off the table at this phase in his life. And I think certain, I, I, my constitution, I could watch Leatherface, had no problem, mm-hmm. even though I do think that is one of the most sinister films ever made. <laughs> Ooh, that's like dark arts all the way. It is interesting when you look at your kid and realize their tastes are going to be different than yours. And at mm-hmm. some point, you may be able to share certain movies And there's certain movies you're just never probably going to watch together. And he says to me all the time, you aren't afraid of scary movies, mama. You never were. You're not afraid of anything. I said, oh, I'm I'm afraid of plenty of things, Mm -hmm. but they're in the real world, not in cinema. And I mean, it's funny, you know, his dad and I both died in the movie we worked on. And there's that part of me that wants to be like, look, it's just pretend I'm right in front of you. But I know he can't watch his mother die on screen. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I had a great death. Yeah, yeah they're, we're just, both of us died, and popcorn. Um, yeah. yeah, that's not <laughs> that's not on the table right now. Yeah, I grew up in New York City, and I didn't realize I could work in cinema until way too old. When did you know you could work in this space? It's so interesting, you know. And I've thought about this because of how provocative your podcast is with these thoughts. I remember when I was a kid, Color Purple and Out of Africa were two of my favorite movies. And I worked 
in the tobacco patch for my family. That's what I did for the summers. Mm -hmm. And I drove the tractor. I hated it. I wanted to be doing the harder labor, but I was eight. So when we really put that in perspective, that's kind of nuts. I was driving at eight. But I remember sitting there and as I would daydream to pass the time of boredom, just sitting on the slow tractor pull, because we didn't do it with a fancy, effective, modern way. We did it on foot, by hand, very old school. It's like Mm -hmm. the learning of hard work was just second nature to my childhood. But I got very lost in my imagination. I think part of that, too, was being latchkey and being alone so much and watching movies. But I remember sitting there and verbatim knowing all of the dialogue Whoopi Goldberg had in Color Purple. Mm -hmm. And then I would try to reenact those scenes on the farm with my cousins. And I remember asking my cousin to wash my hair like an out of Africa because I thought it was so magical and beautiful and we had all this farmland. I think the spark of that instinct was in me at a very young age. I looked for Smurfs in the backyard. I looked for fairies in the woods, you know. So Mm -hmm. I I was always playing around with that kind of vivid imagination. But I think part of what's interesting to me about having a child in Los Angeles is it's just right around the corner everywhere you go, right? Like great films, you Mm -hmm. might run into some huge person at the playground out of context Mm -hmm. um, or see them at the grocery store. So you might watch them on your television or on a film and they're just right there. Whereas the way I grew up, everything was such a reach Mm-hmm. And therefore, I feel like rather than it feeling impossible, it felt like a drive. So like where I was from, like I said, it was really hard to get your hands on going to the movies unless it was a family event. But home box office mm-hmm. and Scanamax would uh-huh. like once a month run run for a weekend or they, they might give you a month long pass at having their network on hand. So I got to see a lot of movies that way. And I remember Turner Classic Movies was huge for me Mm -hmm. and watching biography. And oftentimes I would watch those things. And I remember learning that Joanne Woodward grew up a couple hours from me, you know, Mm -hmm. until her family moved her. And I remember being like, she, she's from Georgia. Cause I thought she was magic. I still Mm -hmm. do. I mean, she's remarkable. She's Mm -hmm. one of my greatest heroines. And then I learned that Julia Roberts was from Georgia and Holly Hunter and Kim Basinger and Ossie Davis. And I thought, wait, if all those people got out, because Ossie Davis grew up like 30 minutes from me, Mm -hmm. why can't I, you know? So, and then there was also a huge music scene, like R.E.M. and and a lot of bands like that, blanking of B-52s. Having a creative prowess, the Indigo Girls, all of these people didn't have to be in New York or California. They might get there eventually. And then I was chomping at the bit. When I saw Annie Hall, that was it. I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to that city and I'm going to do it soon. I was just direct. Mm Got to be in New York. I think because I had a Southern accent, I didn't want to like land in LA and and feel a little bit like that character in Mulholland Drive Mm -hmm. where... (laughs) (laughs) where it's like, ah, you know, I I thought I needed to earn my stripes in New York first. And and it's funny because I went to New York via Philadelphia and I remember having very specific cinematic experiences in Philly because I never experienced cold weather. And I remember going to see Ice Storm when I was in college. I used to go, I used to take myself on a date all the time 
Like that was my thing. If I had any extra coin, I either went to concerts or I went to movies Mm -hmm. and usually both. And usually I worked extra hard just so I could do one or the other at least two or three times a week. I mean, I really was committed to that. And I remember seeing Ice Storm and I remember walking out of the movie theater and it was very cold and it was one of my first real winter experiences. And I remember looking down on the ground before I stepped. And I remember having that moment and thinking, my God, cinema works on you in every specific part of your body if it's well done. And I fell in love with Ang Lee and I'd fallen in love with Sense and Sensibility. And I remember thinking, you can do that and that? God, you can do anything with cinema. So for me, it always felt possible, but I, I got very clear that I wanted I wanted to be legit. I wanted to get an education. I wanted to earn my stripes, you know, and and I was lucky that way because at the same time that I was in college, like David Raid came and workshopped a play with us. And that was almost simultaneous to the release of Hurley Burley. Mm-hmm. So there I'd just read the play and then I was seeing this film version of it with a lot of my favorite actors. There were so many moments like that that I sort of looked at. But I think, again, Holly Hunter, when I realized that she was from a small Georgia town and what she, and I still feel this way, I feel like when you look at Raising Arizona and you look at the piano and you look mm-hmm. at broadcast news Miss Firecracker Contest, all of these different bodies of work, I thought if that person can achieve that through cinema and through their talent, I'm going to work as hard as I can to try to find what my voice is, because I like all these different things. What is my skill set going to become? Will I ever work with my heroine? Do you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. you get a very, when you're from an environment that doesn't have a lot of access, you create that. And I think part of the only reason I've had any success is because I knew the alternative and I wasn't going to be a teacher and I wasn't going to be a nurse. (laughs) So, yeah. You know, I think about you acting out these scenes on a farm and it's so Mm -hmm. cinematic just to even um, imagine it. It reminds me of a story when I was working at Sundance, Mm -hmm. the labs, and I'm interviewing the different filmmakers in the program and Kanan, the music artist, was part of the labs that year. And I sat down, it was like my fifth interview of him. So he was like, what else are you going to ask me? And we just kind of like had this back and forth. And I finally was like, you know, tell me about your love of cinema. How did you fall in love with cinema? And he told me about when, when, where he grew up, the town of kids couldn't afford really to go to the movies in Africa. And he would, all of the kids would come together and they would save up money for one kid to go to the movies and they would oh. have to go and come back and retell the whole story to the rest of the kids. And wow. I just like, I was like, you have to make a movie about that. Like that is a movie in itself. That is a movie. But it, that, That's your story, a beautiful movie. It's beautiful. And, but your story reminded me of that too, because there's that space to be imaginative and the innocence to put yourself in roles, but not be restricted by anything that the world restricts you. And think about my son growing up in Los Angeles and trying to make space for him to be imaginative. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to take advantage of being in a city and introduce him to everything, take him to Colburn for music classes and take him because it Mm -hmm. can, like, why not give him the best access to the things that he could have? But then also like absolutely nothing running around on the beach and being free 
creates so much more imagination. But also one of the things I'm worried about is that introducing too much cinema or TV or whatever to my son, he won't have a big enough imagination on his own because all the stories are being fed to him. The pictures are being fed to him versus reading books and and hearing a story like yours where the movies fed the imagination and the play makes me kind of excited that I don't have to restrict it. Well, you do, I mean, and, and it is, it's, it's a different time. You know, when we were kids, we received information differently. Like their brains are different than ours. And, you know, I mean, just to give you a little backstory, my son was a home birth. We were rye parents. He didn't have screens until a certain age. Like we were those people. And then the pandemic hit when he was in kindergarten and that changed everything. Like we had very curated screen time on weekends and it was sitting down is it was very important for us in the beginning of his life to learn how to be a respectful audience. We weren't making him one. We were modeling it. And we wanted him to understand that seeing a movie in your house is not like going to the movies. And you do have here, and I know you've talked about it, so I know you have this to look forward to. But what Tarantino has done with the new Beverly, the opportunity of going to those movies and seeing his prints, Mm -hmm. like I I know that we're probably going to talk about Atticus's introduction to cinema and all of that at some point. But I will say taking him to see Elf during the holidays for that Saturday matinee and my husband and I, when uh, Zoe Deschanel's in the shower and she's washed, baby, it's cold outside. The fact that my husband and I had such a giggle because you can see her bra coverage because it's, that's where the edit, that's what his print shows because it's that magical a print and knowing that all these prints are probably going to have a special quality to them that watching Elf in any other configuration won't be this experience. And it's an intimate theater and it has remarkable popcorn. The popcorn's always good. The staff's always great. The introduction that you get of those original trailers from that era. Mm -hmm. Like for example, I remember before Elf, they played the Muppets Christmas and then we took them to see Muppets Christmas and you get all these cartoons as well that he shows that are like these original cartoons from the time, or they're somehow tied into the story. That, like, if I, that would have been a complete drug to me as a child. I would force my, I would probably like been caught walking down the highway to try to get to that theater as a kid. It's such a magical experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the beauty of being in a city. Like part of it is you do have access to things like that, that give you the history of cinema in a way that other people around the world have to come here and seek. So you do get the opportunity to take full advantage. And there's enough nature here too, I think, to balance all that stuff out. Mm-hmm. And by the way, like taking my kid to the Batcave and showing him where Adam West drove out of the Batcave so that he could go inside and explore and look to see if Batman was in. I remember when he was little, just a little older than Miles, probably three. Mm-hmm. I remember showing him the trailer of Adam West driving out and then walking there and being like, that's Batman's cave, you know, and making it a bit of an adventure more mm-hmm. than a, that's where they filmed that making it yeah. an adventure. And I remember him going into the cave and pressing on the wall, trying to find Batman's entryway. And I was like, <laughs> he must be out buying groceries. Darn. We'll have to come back another time, you know? So you get yeah. to do fun little things like that as well. that are quite sweet. He's so disinterested in the fact that this is what we do, which is 
I think kind of more common than you would assume of children that grow up in this town. Like they're just not sure they're industry kids and anywhere someone might want to experience things in a certain way, but it's very normalized here. Surprisingly, because I had the same concerns, I think, that you did, which is, you know, to balance it out and have a freedom to run on the beach and all of that. Mm. But that then just gets into, as a parent, letting the person emerge and lead you to their interests and curating certain things. But like for him, it has always been right in front of us. We just have to listen. Yeah. But fortunately, the kids got great taste so far. Like, I'm so relieved because that's something you might want to project or instill, but they're ultimately going to like what they like. And fortunately for him, like he's drawn to Led Zeppelin. Thank God. Not like the Paw Patrol soundtrack on a loop. So (laughs) my son is drawn to Slash. Like I can play Slash playing guitar. He will just be mesmerized. The guitar in general. That's why I take him to music because he's so mesmerized. My brother's a cellist. So that's like the other Ah. side of my life, the classical dance and the cello. Like I'm, definitely going to try and bring him to the Nutcracker either this year or next year because I believe in theater as much as I believe in cinema of just the experience of being in the audience and yes amongst people and feeling people feeling art you know he was a he was a COVID baby right so he you had him during December 2021 so just at the end yeah but that I feel like for parents having that communal experience which is I think the the thing I have been afraid to mourn, but I am currently realizing that there's nothing to mourn. People are interested in cinema, going to comedy shows and concerts. These things are, are surely emerging again in our opportunity in a way that really gives me such relief because it is different to be an audience and to have like I hadn't actually, until I went to see it at New Beverly, I'd never seen Singing in the Rain on a large screen. I'd only seen it on television. Mm-hmm. And to go, and he has, we call this child his betrothed because they were drawn to each other like magnets in preschool. And they no longer are in the same school system. So we make family dates a lot. And one of those things, one of the joys has been going to see movies together. And this time they chose to sit in seats, not next to the parents. So there they are in front of us. (laughs) Yeah. And I, God, I mean, I have to respect not pulling out camera. I would never do that. But before the movie started and before they did the introduction, I have this wonderful picture of the back of their heads in front of that screen and I'll have it forever. And Mm -hmm. watching literally them sit at attention. And then as the story as the romance involves Suddenly her head is on his shoulder and you see him sit up a little more pronate. The body (laughs) language changes because the love language on the screen is affecting, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's incredible to see how these films stand the test of time. And that movie's about cinema. I mean that. So for me, that movie is its own magic. And I remember the first time we showed him, it was during lockdown when we were fully locked down in our house. So for him to be able to experience it in a room full of people that are all just drunk on the love of cinema versus just sitting in our house with our homemade popcorn, he's got those very crystallized memories now. And I, as much as we, when we asked him when we left the New Beverly, because we, of course, put the soundtrack on, that's a big thing we like to do right after we see a movie and he normally asks for it. 
we started playing the music and he was like, I don't want to hear it. And then immediately started singing it. <laughs> and it's funny how they like try to, you know, or at least I'll speak for him. He like tries to act like he's disinterested in the thing we love. We're, we're, we're on the brink now where that as he's almost 10 is starting to evolve, which I'm just having to ride the wave. Having, the three days that followed randomly hearing him in a private moment go do 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 you just realize like the power of cinema yeah it's it's always there and it's always there whenever you want to commune with it you know you mentioned that he has good taste has he asked mm-hmm. you to see anything specific on his own. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll give you a little bit of a history of his film journey because I do think it's important. The first thing he ever saw, he was a little bit older than Miles, not by much, but a little bit. Mm. And when he was little, we used to just provide him with opportunities to look. We had like books of art and we were curious, like we had books with Cezanne, with Picasso, like what, what's he, is he drawn to any particular imagery? Mm-hmm. And it was always Picasso. So when he was about Miles's age, we were in New York. I was working there and we took him to MoMA. And there was a specific exhibit. There was a massive room just filled with Picasso. And it, I'll never forget it. He just kept pointing, going, Picasso, Picasso, Picasso. And oh. everyone, every adult around realized this little nugget could recognize this artist. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind. I was like, wow, because I'm also an older parent. I was 37 when I had him. So when I got pregnant with him and had him. And so I, I'm very keyed into every experience he has. Like I mm-hmm. definitely made a choice to become a parent, had a full life with my husband before mm-hmm. as, you know, single folks. And um, so I was working on that project that I was talking about with Isabella Rossellini. We filmed in Vancouver and we learned that there was a projected film of Picasso painting. And we thought that's going to be his first movie. That's his first screen experience. So we took him to the museum and we sat on the floor and he waved and said, hi, Picasso. Because he thought it was like a FaceTime, like he was doing with his grandparents in Georgia. (laughs) He expected him to talk back. And I thought, oh God. And it's how he's looking at the audience right now as he does this. And he's very humorous in the way he does it. And he's very artful. So that was technically his first movie. Mm -hmm. The first movie we sat down at home to try to show him because he loved cars. He loved trash trucks when they would go by. Every Friday we had to go out and wave to the trash truck when he was little. So we were like, cars is going to be his first movie. Okay, Mm -hmm. we'll do that. We turn it on. Lightning McQueen gets into trouble in the first few minutes. I think he blows a tire or something. Mm -hmm. And Atticus screamed, turn it off. He was so upset. That instantly, he identified with the hero and did not want to see him in pain. That was it. So we turned it off. And he didn't watch a full movie until he watched Yellow Submarine, which what I find so interesting about your podcast so far is both of those films have come up so many times Mm -hmm. for children. And Yellow Submarine was the first movie he watched in its entirety with his cousin. And it it is very friendly. The adversity is not... And the sound, I know that's come up before, like sound is really, depending on the constitution of the person and how their senses take in, and now sound in movie theaters is just bananas. You have to really sort of let the child lead because I, with the way sound is in cinema, now he's in an age where it's not the same thing, but it 
you don't want them to be turned off to the cinema experience when it is so loud. Like you have to really kind of know what theater you're taking them in, which again is why I find New Beverly so accessible for children. It seems to really have an awareness of that. And then I think the first full movie he saw in a movie theater was Smallfoot. They showed it at LACMA and he was in preschool and it was like a special advanced screening or something. So it was like, again, one of those cool LA things Mm -hmm. where you're like, wow, his first movie is going to be at a museum. His first his first technical screen experience was. So might as well carry on that tradition. He went with a group of kids from his preschool and that was just pandemonium and they were all out of their minds. And then the minute the movie started, I couldn't believe the stamina these kids at four years of age had because they were mesmerized. And I was grateful because I didn't know what to expect, especially because is he going to want to run out since there's adversity? Or is he going to enjoy this experience more because he's with peers? And I will say, For him, two things have been key with our cinema experience. It is really wonderful to do with a peer. If that peer, I mean, I'm a little, I don't want to say I'm a snob about it because I'm very empathic, understanding everybody's got their own thing, but I don't want a kid to be talking during a movie. I want a kid to be respectful of the audience around. And we Mm -hmm. really narrate that with him and did because, again, those really important years of learning stamina he missed because of lockdown. So he's catching up on that. And the tropes of boys needing to move around and all of that, I find are very true with my particular child. He has a lot of energy in his body. And I always marvel when something's compelling, how he can just bring it in and lock in. And I'm relieved because I didn't know if that was going to be true. (laughs) Yeah, I see that with Miles already. Like, I mean, I'm going to go to physical therapy so I can get my body in shape to run after him because mm-hmm. I'm my hips are sore from having to sprint because he's so fast yes. and like it's from zero to a thousand. But then he gets into something and he can really just get lost in a story. Even reading to him, mm. he can sit on my lap and make it through a whole story which I I love. I think that's really great. And as they get into their education, not just their cinema language, but like story as a form of community and communing and connecting is so important. And I do, particularly if something comes from a book, we do like to approach the material either with the audio book first or by reading the book, because I do want him to identify how he sees story not let it be dictated because that's that's a lifelong gift I find mm-hmm. and and I do think it's specific to my personality but I, I do love that children have all different ways to access that and I think certainly as you know when you're in a car in Los Angeles audiobooks can be a real gift they can yeah. be a real gift to a child yeah we've just discovered no so when Miles mm. is not like a song or a show no 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 mm. No mm. way. That's his new one. No way. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No I way. get it. <laughs> but then he'll give something a chance. And if it brings him in, he's in. As you said, your your son has his own taste. He has his own visual language already that he that he likes as he's getting older and being able to assert. Do you, do you ever let him watch things alone yet? As long as, because I'll tell you for us, and certainly to be this generation of parent, my my steady diet of John Hughes and Woody Allen and all these different, even like Peter Pan, I was obsessed with Peter Pan. 
as a kid. I wanted to be Tinkerbell. And it didn't occur to me that I had not seen that thing for probably 30 years almost. And we put it on and there it is, Peter, all that, you know, it's like, you've got Wendy and there, you can fly and Nana and all these wonderful things. And then we see Tinkerbell and I never identified the amount of body image stuff that was built into that. Like she can't fit through the keyhole because her ass is too big. She's looking at her ass in dismay and disappointment or just even the mermaids with Wendy, how mean and bitchy. And then of course, what makes a red man red? My husband and I were just like, what if he likes that song and starts singing it? Like this is, we didn't remember any of that. And we both were like, going forward, we're going to recon movies. Cut to he's older. And we thought his sense of humor, he could probably hold Ace Ventura. We'll just fast forward through the parts that we remember as being a certain way. Well, I'd forgotten the whole point of the end of the film (laughs) with that big reveal. I, I was just focused on the one love scene. And fast forwarding through that, I had totally forgotten about the big reveal at the end of the movie. And my husband and I were both like, shit, we really have to watch everything first from top to bottom before we show him anything. And now I will say the funny thing, he has a great sense of humor, our kid, which is such a relief Mm because that's something that you hope for. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love good sense of humor. I love, I love also watching him. Like there are certain things, Splash was a movie I loved as a child, but to show him Splash and to see him laugh so hard at John Candy. I think John Candy, Eddie Murphy, Jack Black, Jim Carrey, these guys are magical, period. And there is something in their humor that even if it's Shrek and you're hearing Eddie Murphy, there's so much delight in him that you just can't escape it. And the giggles that come out of my kid, just the hysteria of laughter that consistently, and I know this has been talked about on the pod, like there is something comforting to children about knowing where the story's going to go. So the repeat watching. And then when I thought about it, I was like, my God, I did that. That's how I learned the color purple. That's how I knew what will be said and things like that, where you just, you realize the repetition becomes safe. Mm-hmm. And also the language of cinema. We went through a phase, I remember, where we went from, you know, two, three hours of curated screen time on the weekend, watching movies, sitting down to you're doing school for eight hours on a screen and we're having to buy you an iPad. That was personally traumatic for us as parents because our egos really hated that everything we thought were tenants of our household were suddenly diminished mm-hmm. because we didn't want them to, we didn't want, you know, we were very much like the brain development and all of this. And then we were just like, just surrender and find the silver lining of this. This is the way he gets to connect with peers. And alternatively, we were showing him a lot more content because we had to fill our days. And we were like, well, let's show him movies we loved as kids ourselves and so on and so forth. And I just remember at one point, my husband saying to me, he just has too much screen time now. It's not right. But we agreed if he spends equal parts outside to what he's doing inside and the content is something that has meaning to us. Why not? And I looked at him and I was like, you know, he was like, why is he watching that set? He keeps asking for the same movie over and over again. We just watched it. And I was like, he could become a screenwriter as a result of this or an animator or 
maybe something in his creativity is connecting him. And then there's the other layer of pandemic was unpredictable. This is predictable. And that's very understandable. And I frankly understand about myself as an adult that so much of my coping came from cinema. So much of how I learned to be in the world or to view the world came through what I was watching, which is then when you get into these conversations about, I really need to be aware if something feels too believable, how it's going to affect sleep, how it's going to affect conversations. And we really do have, that's also part of the joy that he's at an age now where we can really talk about what worked for him in a movie and what didn't work for him. We went and saw the recent Spider-Man film and the ending of it was not at all what any of us predicted, which is also great because, hey, there's a surprise. But he loved the film and was furious at the end of the movie. He was like, why did it have to end that way? And I thought, I love that you're asking that question. Hmm. And I love that you now have to be patient as a viewer because you can just click, click, click to the next show or go pick a movie and it's right at your fingertips. Whereas I had to have stamina as an audience. What happened in between watching the trailer and finally making it to the movie to see the movie, all of the imagination I had about what story was going to be, all of that stuff. It's just their reality is different. And Mm -hmm. there's a degree with which if you overcompensate with trying to keep things precious, it just backfires. And that's like, you know, learning to parent a certain way, I suppose. But for me, I mean, it's like, there are certain films I want to watch with him to see how he receives them. And I, I just don't know how they hold up in this time. Like when, when is going to be an appropriate time to revisit some of these things so he can see how the world has changed. But for him right now, because he has such a specific upbringing and peer group, he doesn't ask a lot of questions because his world is frankly very in harmony. Like he does not, I think oftentimes about when he finally gets to a point in his education where they explore the Holocaust, like what it, what a gift Spielberg gave us mm-hmm. with Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to say anything. I can put him down in front of that. And there's going to be an education, not only about the history of the world in that way, but the history of trauma. I watched that probably in the last year. And when you realize how effective the use of humor is, how people in that environment still found a way to laugh, and you understand that is such an imperative part of the human condition for a child to see modeled, things like that, that, I mean, and you'll potentially learn as a parent, you can have all the best intentions, you can say all the right things but they aren't going to hear shit from you. They're going to learn it in a movie or from a friend or from something else or a coach or whatever. Like all that stuff is, is a sad truth in my household, but at least he's getting it from somewhere else and sharing with me what he's getting. There's a very open nature too in our household because of that. And there's a world too where you can show him some of the movies that maybe don't hold up 
but speak to him about it, about mm-hmm. why we, we don't speak to women that way anymore and why this was mm-hmm. accepted back then. And those conversations mm-hmm. are so important because there are things to, to glean from those films, but yeah. also like we don't want to retrain ourselves. And I think women are don't always know for ourselves how much we are part of the patriarch as well, how we're so... Oh trained in how we show up how how we film how we hold our cameras how we pose like all of it is because we have a language of cinema that we were taught for so many years it's one of the reasons why i think tiktok is so interesting in this backlash against the beauty of instagram i'm Mm. you watch these teenagers film themselves without makeup and their sweats in a way that I feel like I never would. It's an interesting time. And I, I do think the your son might get the tail end of it. I think my son's going to get a lot of it. But the whole computational paradigm is going to shift with spatial computing. And mm-hmm. the idea of this, mm-hmm. the way we're conversing right now is going to be really different. We're going to sit in a room somewhere virtually and speak to each other's avatars, which is both oh, better God. and worse in some ways. It's a body, yeah. but it's... It's a degree away from each other. Yeah, it's super strange to me. And I'm really trying to make peace with it. And I think for me as a parent, like I know there's gonna, there's a part of me speaking to what you were talking about. Like Jane Fonda was, from the moment I laid eyes on her as a child, that was, that was it. It was a love affair, period. And I wonder what showing him nine to five would be like, because I know why I love that movie. I mean, they're all just gangbusters in that movie. But that is such a bygone time, frankly. But you're talking about, it's very important to me. I mean, it's sad to me that most of the things I've made in terms of content, he can't come to set and visit. He can't come watch mom work, nor is he interested. And I remember Isabella Rossellini talking to me about that. She was like, bring the baby. And I was like, this is not an environment for him. She was like, he'll be bored after 15 minutes. He'll go to the craft service table, but he'll see what your life is and it'll be more important to him because of it. And I remember thinking, well, if I'm going to take advice from anybody about watching their mother be comfortable and confident at work, it's going to be you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. That's, that's what I'll put in the, put in the hopper. And and I did, and he did love coming for a few minutes. They didn't stay long, but I remember there was a puppet and he wanted to bring it home and he didn't understand why he couldn't bring this this toy home. And I was like, this is part of mom's work, but the next time you come, it'll probably still be here so you can visit it again. You know, and I just realized Part of what it also preserved to just have little bits and bobs, should you do the things that you and I were talking about before this started, when they see you doing the thing you love, they have a different association. And part of the whole thing for me and not wanting to dispel the magic is he really gets lost in the story. And I, I've been very precious about not wanting him to just be like, oh, yeah, they're actors like my mom. And not take the film in for the full experience of the story to really have it. And so far it's been that way. But I I will say there was a a funny moment. One of the things we did to pass time during the pandemic is we would go for drives and listen to music. It was a way to get out of the house that felt safe and so forth. 
And I don't know if you saw this speaking of Instagram, but you know, Jack Black has made these little mini movies of himself as superheroes. Have you seen any oh, no, of this? No, I haven't seen this. Oh, dear God, do yourself a favor. He has made some hysterical little vignettes of him as these different superheroes to music. It's very, very Jack Black. So my son's interest in Jack Black wasn't Kung Fu Panda. It was seeing him run down the street in like tidy whitey briefs with a cape and Thor's mighty hammer. And my husband and I are immediately like, that's Jack Black. That's totally Jack Black. <laughs> and then he's edited a video that you yourself can see. And then after that, we showed Atticus the video. So we were like, this guy we think is funny. And that's the same man we saw running down the street in his underwear the other day. <laughs> so he watches it. And it's funny because then he ran around our yard in his underwear. He did his whole reenactment. And then we showed him Kung Fu Panda. And then we said, there's another movie we think you might want to see. And we showed him Nacho Libre. Oh. And he was in love. And we were like, that guy in his underwear running down the street is in those underwear wrestling in this movie now. <laughs> so that we did tie certain things together that just felt fun yeah. without making it weird. And it's for him, for the rest of his life, he's going to probably remember watching him run down the street and then realize that he made a little movie himself. And that he made this movie that he was a voiceover in. And that he made this movie that we love to watch. We literally did Nacho Nights and Nacho Libre. And Napoleon Dynamite's another one that That's a great he one. absolutely loves. And it, it's as anything that's remotely suggestive in it really, I found, fortunately, went over his head. But we're also prepared at this point now to answer questions that yeah. probably would have been uncomfortable if we'd shown him certain things if he was younger. Yeah. Is it El Capitan? Yes. During Halloween, they have a guy come through the stage playing the organ and they make it like a 4D experience. This is like the greatest. I love this Halloween memory with him. They were all smoking to the audience. They oh, make it amazing. smell like the candy you see. I mean, it's wild. It's a very sensory experience. But to see that organ come up and the guy mm. playing it it's like you're you're in the brain of vincent price oh, and the same amazing. with edward scissorhand that one really that's a very special movie and there are some things in it that you might need to answer to it's more violent than i remembered but he was ready for it when we showed it to yeah. him i feel like beetlejuice first maybe but that's also pretty oh, hard it's great <laughs> beetlejuice i mean beetlejuice is pretty tremendous it holds yeah. up Okay. Yeah. I have to, to do that one again. Okay. My last question, which movie should I show Miles that he falls in love with cinema? Well, a couple, I mean, I've, I've already mentioned it has been mentioned so many times, but singing in the rain has to be in there at some point in his life. Mm -hmm. I also saw iron giant with him at the new Beverly. And mm -hmm. that is a remarkable film. I had not seen that on the big screen. I wept almost the entire movie. I mean, it's Brad Bird just, I understand why he is the filmmaker he is now, but that story, and we'd read the book, so he had such an association, but it, it is magic on screen. There's a reason, you know, the Ted Lasso men watched it and cried on that TV series. <laughs> but 
just to kind of mix it up, because so many of the things that have been recommended, I'm fully in agreement with, but you've already got them on your list. Hugo is oh. such a beautiful, beautiful film. And again, like Singing in the Rain, it is about cinema, but there's a child to identify with. And he has such a rich inner life in the film. Then you've got Sasha Baron Cohen, who is, of course, always brilliant and fun and funny. And so there's such a balance. But when you get into what Ben Kingsley's or Ben Kingsley's story is, that is a piece of film history mm-hmm. that schools you unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And then I know at some point in Atticus's life, we're going to go to Dorsey and stand in that clock. And I know he will remember it. I know how all of that ties together. I mean, it did for me. I, I again, big old weeper. I stood mm-hmm. when we went there. I remembered that film and I just couldn't believe I was looking out of the same place. Mm-hmm. And that is something too with cinema. I mean, there are certain films that are so special because you get to go to the location if you're mm-hmm. fortunate enough to one day be able to do it. Those, those, there are, I know at some point he's going to see Gladiator and we're going to go to the Coliseum, do you know? Yeah. Or he's already seen Clash of the Titans. So I think, and he loves mythology. So I think things like that, as your child shows you who he is, yeah. you'll see what what the proclivities are. But for me, Hugo is about the very thing that we love mm-hmm. as cinephiles. And it's also, it, it really has a compelling story outside of all of that mm-hmm. with the clock and with the father. It's just, it's a really, it's a really beautiful film that when you feel ready to show him, I think is a gift to a kid. Yeah. I definitely think in December when he turns two, I'm going to do a movie in a theater. Probably because Vidiot's just opened and they have a small micro theater. We had Maggie McKay on, who's the executive director. And she recommended The Red Balloon. Oh my God, that's beautiful. That's a great idea. For for a two-year-old. Like it's not really any language and it's slow and he loves balloons and potentially get all the kids red balloons as they come out of the movie theater. I love that you have thought about that so much because I've heard (laughs) you talk about renting the theater. And I think that's smart because I think it's a community he's safe with. It's peers. Mm -hmm. It's It's something that you curate. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there's so many places that will do that now yeah, really is incredible. And that way, as he develops and gives more of his proclivities, you'll be able to take him because the experience with strangers is also magic to laugh yeah. with a group of people you don't know or to cry with a group of people you don't know. It's amazing. That's amazing. But I love that you've already got. Oh, that's very exciting. What's his birthday? What's his uh, December birthday? 6th. I'm the 14th. Oh, Sagittarius. Yeah. It's a good time to be born. It is. He's the most social. I'm not that much of a a horoscope person, but Mm -hmm. he will go up to every person outside and say hello. We walk in our little neighborhood and he just goes, hello, hi, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. You're at such a magical time too, but my little parting gift to you is they all are. I mean, there's not a time that hasn't held some magic in our child's development, particularly around this. Like I said, the sense of humor when he comes out with these things are like, 
if he sees Jim Carrey and then tries to impersonate him, you just realize so much about the person when they mm-hmm. do that, do you know, yeah. and, and like what gets them going. And I know that if he's not having a good day, we could probably pull out Ace Ventura and that would change things. He's, he's more partial to the second one. So the first yeah. one's a little scary at times, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Um, but I have enjoyed this more than you can possibly know. Cause it's like the easiest thing in the world to talk about and I can do it. I mean, we couldn't do a hundred hours and, and maybe <laughs> bored with it. I love it. I, I mean, I haven't had a couple on yet. So I, I feel like if you ever want to come back with your husband, I would love to give that a shot and name see the what day. That's like. Okay. Yeah, we've had Amazing. some we've had some great shared cinema experiences. And uh, we can tell you what it's like to watch each other die in the same movie. It's pretty fun. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a single mom by choice, so I don't have anyone to strategize with on what to show my son. And, you know, I'm going to have to be somewhat careful until he's a little older and can understand that his dad is a donor. And that means in showing content around that, there isn't so, so much. Yeah, it's amazing the learning that can come from Mm -hmm. stories. I really understand now, like watching something like Mrs. Doubtfire and hearing dude looks like a lady and hearing those lyrics and going, my God, it never occurred to me how wrong (laughs) that song is that is just wrong on all layers and levels because you know we're living in a different world you can't even have the conversation about where do babies come from in the same way because they come from many different places these days and and that's the magic of you can't say how is a baby made with it being the same conversation that we got I mean and I've got to applaud you and say at times, it's going to be a little bit easier for you because you're the only one making choices. You might want to check out Dave Grohl's mother wrote a wonderful book called From the Cradle to the Stage. Uh-huh. And it has all these experiences in parenting from Dr. Dre's mom to Amy Winehouse's mom, mm-hmm. Michael Stipe's mom. But it really the, and on and on, like it's it's a profound piece of material. Oh, awesome. But um, it really does speak to because she eventually was a single mom. Mm-hmm. And I do remember there's a part in the book where she talked about the joy of only having to worry about her own opinion at times. And I remember thinking, yes, I am definitely in a partnership and there are compromises in any good marriage. And certainly I've made some and he's made some. <laughs> yes. But if it was my own point of view, I mean, he's made choices. He's, I remember him showing him uh, Top Gun and me being like, wait, hang on. You showed him what? <laughs> Why wasn't I there for that? And then you realize you can't be there for everything. And so as a mother who is the parent du jour, you will be there for all these things and you will curate them. And I also have to say, I admire greatly the bravery and boldness because it is an uncompromising circumstance you're in. And I love knowing that there are women that can have the parenting journey by their own means yeah, and I mean, in their own time frame and all of it. I really I'm, admire it. I chose it because I found out my fertility was waning. I was like, okay, well, this is it. I'm, I'm having a baby. Now dating is really weird with a child. And my standards are so much higher. And isn't that a gift? Such a gift. It's such a yeah. gift. But I got to say, you're right. Anytime a woman tells me she's having a son to be very gender normative, I say, you don't need anything but a sports bra and running shoes to raise that kid. Nope. That's my advice for the future. And a relationship with my garbage man. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, we every Friday, like yeah. Simba, we held him up to see those trash trucks. Oh, my son's favorite thing in the world. Yes, that's great. But you're gonna find you're gonna find Miles finding his own magic. And I look forward to doing this again with you. It'll be a real, real pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for the pod. It's a gift to parents. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to like and subscribe. New episodes release every Wednesday. And leave a comment and let me know which movie you think I should show my son. Until next time, take care.